This week at Macy's, find your new favorite jeans with 40% off Levi's looks for him and her just in time for spring. Or use your coupon or Macy's card and take an extra 15% off handbags and wallets already 40 to 50% off. And take an extra 10% off great furniture and mattress deals too. Plus, Star Rewards members earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. This is the Rogie Report News on the Fringe FM. I'm Jess Rogie. An experimental SpaceX rocket exploded on Tuesday during a test flight. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk tweeted, at least the crater is in the right place. The Starship explosion that occurred on February 2nd, Musk called moments like these a rapid, unscheduled disassembly or RUD. This is the fourth time this prototype has crash-landed or exploded. The SN11 is in an early iteration of Starship, the vehicle that Musk Musk envisions one day will carry the first humans to Mars. The Pentagon has plans to update aircraft carriers. If you're familiar with the MCU, it's going to sound a lot like a helicarrier. DARPA is working on a program that involves flying a mothership that can deploy and collect cheaply made drones called gremlins. According to Futurism, when it's time to deploy a gremlin drone, the modified cargo plane turned aircraft carrier would simply drop them out of the sky. Their wings would deploy as their engines would turn on, allowing a human operator to command a fleet of them at once. Technology. The future is wild. Earlier this week, the U.S. Strategic Command, the agency that controls the nukes, tweeted a strange string of characters leaving Internet citizens confused. Web sleuths started to wonder if the account was hacked. The Daily Dot website filed an FOIA, or a Freedom of Information Act, to find out more. The U.S. Strategic Command responded there was no hack. What they found out was that the person behind the Twitter account left the window open, and their young child saw an opportunity. No hidden codes, no government hacks, just a kid messing with the keyboard. Climate change may have started Kyoto's earliest cherry blossom festival in 1,200 years. Records of the blossoming have been kept as far back as 812. The archives are the longest-running and most in-depth record of any natural spectacle in the world. Historically, the season begins in April and has been slowly moving forward over the past 100 years. Police in Ohio respond to a child-sized ghost. The police report states that officers were dispatched on March 10th to the area near Bellflower Elementary. The caller reported seeing a 7-year-old girl running northbound in the area. As one officer approached, he spotted a child fitting the description. The officer says, I was surprised by what I saw. The person appeared to be a small child, running rather erect and too quickly for a child. When the officer got out of the vehicle, to try to catch the child, nobody was in the area. This has been the Rogie Report News on the Fringe FM. I'm Jess Rogie. This is Jess Rogie, host of the Rogie Report, and you're listening to the Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting.
Broadcasting live from sunny Southern California on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM, and in syndication on KFSA. This is The Rogie Report, where we talk about the topics that interest you, from UAPs to UFOs, current events, and more. Let's get ready to explore the unrevealed. I'm your host, Jess Rogie, and thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. I want to say hello to everyone in the Spreaker chat. We got Elf and Russ over there, and everybody over in the Discord chat as well. We got Mike J. We got Elf over here too. Pat. Or, yep. No, I think Russ is over here now. So, before we get started. Tonight is going to be an amazing show. We have Frank Milborn back here again for the second time, even though we've tried three times. <laughs> so today, third time is the charm. But before we get started, remember to follow the Rogie Report on social media, Twitter and Instagram. That's the R-O-G-G-E Report. And you can subscribe to the Rogie Report newsletter on the RogieReport.com. There you will find links on how to support the show. And uh, I'm also working on a new website. I just want to let you guys know. So that is in the works. So stay tuned. So my guest tonight is Frank Milburn, a strategic and operational advisor, a former UK military intelligence officer. He is an alumni of Sandhurst and the London School of Economics and member of the Scientific Coalition for UAP Studies. He has previously written for Combating Terrorism Center, for the Combating Terrorism Center at West Point, the Institute for Naval Security Studies, the Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv University, and the Begin, Begin Sadat Center for Strategic Studies at the Barlan. Bar Ann? I always mess up on that, Frank. University. So, thank you so much for joining me. Third time is the charm. Welcome, Frank. How are you? Thanks very much, Jess. Yeah, it's great. Like you said, third time is the one. It's the charm. It's the charm. <laughs> <Or a> whoop. <laughs> I'm so excited it worked. Oh. oh, you and me both. I know. I was a little scared. So, Frank, what, how have you been? You've been well since we last spoke? Yeah, I've been doing really good, thanks. Um, and thank God the, uh, or whoever you, you know, whoever you look to for, for, for fortune and good luck. Um, yeah, things have got a bit better here. I've actually been, been out, been diving with my buddy. Um, oh. So actually, yeah, we're not on lockdown just at night. So it's a, it's a bit more civilized than it was. A little more open, feeling more normal. Yeah. I, I think things are opening up here. I'm staying home because I'm nervous, so I still stay home. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't blame you on that one. I mean, I, I am, I am getting out like to the gym and stuff. But apart from that, I just go to yeah, yeah, supermarkets. I don't like hang out places really, um, and I just see people that I've obviously I've known for a long time. But I don't like hang out like public places. I'm still nervous about it too. Everybody's still got to wear masks anyway. Yeah. Um, but you know, but living a lot. Thank God I don't live in a in a, in a really big crowded city. So that yes. would be a real nightmare. Yes. Yeah, so you live in a more small town. Every day more small town yeah there. yeah i live in a village but you know I don't, I don't have to take like the subway every day with like loads and loads of people so i feel really sorry for people if they are in that situation i just i can't imagine trying to get on mass transportation now i just i don't think i could do it for a while without just having that nervousness inside yeah and i think especially you know if, if you're you know if you're living with other family members and stuff and especially like you know older family members or people who are like more at risk i mean it's a bummer you know i, I can't i want to go and see my old mom but even you know with the new variants and stuff i haven't been vaccinated yet so i'm not going to go and do that before i have been and even if i have been vaccinated i've got to wait and see if the situation's under control you know i think everybody's in that situation more or less yeah exactly like uh, my mom my parents have been vaccinated so that's good but i haven't been vaccinated yet so i'm still staying home you know and it's just really being careful you know about transmitting you know because you don't want to accidentally transmit it to them yeah yeah that's the whole thing isn't it? i mean I, I think so little is known about it and and i think a worry for a lot of people is going to be yeah even if i do get vaccinated if there's some other kind of variant and i get that i might not 
you know have any symptoms and i might pass it on to to somebody else so yeah that's going to be a worry i know it's just like just as we're starting to feel better there's the variant and oh my gosh uh but frank let's move on from the fun stuff that's going on with the virus <laughs> let's talk about some uaps so yeah let's go for it since last time we spoke, we were trying to get you on just as your last paper was released, but we just couldn't do it. So I figured we'll talk about that today. So what is this new paper called? Yeah, um, it was basically to follow on um, really capitalizing on the, on the on the work that I did on the on the first paper. So it's again with the Beg and Sadat Center for Strategic Studies at Borland University. And it's uh, titled "American Development of UAP." UAP start again. American <laughs> development of UAP technology: a fait accompli. Um, and it was really because of some remarks that uh, um, Lou Elizondo had made in um, a couple of podcasts that I picked up on it, and nobody had really seemed to pick up on it. And I thought they were really, really interesting in terms of how he was uh, talking about the technology behind UAP. He was going, uh, you know, quite deeply into it. And my buddy Jay at Project Unity, he uh, he kindly let me put some questions uh, for him before he interviewed Lou Elizondo. Oh. And what came out of that was really interesting. You know, some kind of uh, answers that I really didn't expect him to give. But uh, um, and in that interview and another one that he gave uh, to another podcast, he really you know delved down deep into the into the sort of physics and the. Uh, and the tech, which, which is really, really fascinating. So I thought, yeah, that, that's got to have a paper written about it because nobody had actually done that yet. Um, and I thought that it needed to be brought to attention and it was a good opportunity for another paper. Yeah, it's it's a perfect opportunity for another paper. So I read the paper. I read it a lot, Frank. I read it a lot because we were... Oh, I'm sorry, I can't <laughs> laugh too much. Oh, but um, I read it a lot. And you open with um, a little uh, excerpt from the Condon Report. Um, yeah, I did, uh, which actually they um, removed from oh. the one that, that, that actually, yeah. But no, it was okay. Um, they, they wanted has to been put reading the original instead. version. Yeah, well, that's that's why you have editors, you know, because obviously <laughs> they, they know better than I do. <laughs> but um, yeah, really what I wanted to highlight was um, – the contrast between, you know, sort of what we know today from what's come out in open source from, you know, uh, what, what, you know, principally, you know, Elizondo and others have been saying about the technology and, you know, where we were in 1947 when Twining, um, you know, wrote his, uh, his letter to that because he was head of uh, army materiel command. And when he wrote his letter um, to the head of what was then the army air forces before it became the U S air force, and which is basically intimating, yeah, well, you know, we have these objects that are flying around that have these, you know, observables. He didn't use the term observables, but that's what he was talking about. And we need to study it. Um, and I thought that was interesting because that was 1947. And then here we are, Elizondo still talking about saying we need to have a program to study it. So what's there's, happened all those years? There, I know there's like that parallel of we have not studied it yet. And here we are so many years later. So... Well, yeah, I was going to say, and also, I mean, in the, the first paper that I did, um, uh, the Pentagon's UAP task force, I mentioned a um, the uh, Air Force's uh, sort of standard reporting procedure from 1954, which was saying we need to, when you're reporting these things, what's the purpose of the reporting? It's to find out more about the technology, right? If we can discover more about the technology, and second, to establish are they a threat to the security of the uh, to the security of the United States? So again. Yes. You know, that twining, it's like, well, what's been happening all these years? Because we just seem to be like on the same kind of like hamster wheel. Yeah. So I guess that kind of makes me wonder, and maybe it makes you wonder too, if this has kind of been the same, why the, I can't move my arm when I talk, why the push now? Why is there such a big push now? I mean, it seems the government is pushing, you know, with the report coming out in June and it seems that people are pushing. Like, why Why do you think there's, like, such a push right now? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're doing the push, I mean, from uh, the, the, the push by former members of TTSA, yeah, I think 
overall, I think it just snowballed too much um, for it to be kept under wraps anymore um, yeah. in terms of the information that was coming out. I mean, if you think about the differences as well in technology, right, for years and years, you had, for example, in high next time, right? So you yes. had, you know, UFO research organizations, people would go and give lectures and stuff. Somebody would have like a mailing list and they'd send out like these letters, right? But people were basically communicating by letter, right? And then yes. like maybe phoning people up, right? <laughs> or sending a telegram. And now it's like the slightest thing happens. And like, there's a million people on Twitter, like all over it in seconds. Exactly. So, yeah, so that's one That's one reason why it's come out. And, and as soon as TTA, TTSA started pushing like the door open and then you know the new york times and uh, and politico and others got on board with it then it, it, it's kind of like the genie was out of the bottle or as the, you know people like to say the you know too much toothpaste had come out of the tube for it to be pushed back exactly i think you're 100 percent right with that it's it's gone it's gone too far we can't go back now so let's start let's talk about the technology because that's the that's the the the, the sen- and now another no-brainer money-saving tip from progressive marcus what happened i was changing my oil and i spilled some on the floor oh we'll use these 50 dollars bills to wipe it up perfect got any more yeah yeah take a couple hundred stop instead of using money use an old rag and here's a better tip from progressive on how not to waste money don't pay too much for car insurance drivers who switch and save could save hundreds progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates potential savings will vary Wendy's two for six dollars lets you mix and match some of our best items, like Dave single with a ten-piece crispy nugs, medium strawberry lemonade with a spicy chicken sandwich, spicy chicken with a Dave single, Dave single with a strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade, strawberry lemonade. If you're into that, chicken Sam crispy nugs, crispy nugs, strawberry lemonade, Dave's Dave's nugs, nugs, Sam Sam. Whew. Pick what you want at a price you want. <clears throat> Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's two for six. For a limited time, price of participation may vary at U.S. Wendy's on the card only. Single item at regular price. Enter of this paper. Um, what did you want to find out most when you start when you put this paper together about the technology? What 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 made you think, Frank? What made you wonder? Well, it was the comments that that uh, that Elizondo had made about you know delving into the into the physics so i wanted to see if um if we could you know through the questions sort of pry open the door a bit more um and i mean jay opened up with a very good question about uh you know the jamming of the of the radar right which is which is a, a very good question and which has come up um if we remember the 1976 case tehran case which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite cases of all time because it involved an intercept of uh of two different uh, crews and two different phantom jets of, of UAP near Tehran. So they, in that famous case, well, they experienced jamming. Uh, Fravor said that he'd reported jamming. So that's something that's turned up in a lot of cases. And, and uh, from a military perspective, that's very, very interesting because it's considered to be a hostile act as well, right? So if you're yes. flying you're, you know, a, a US aircraft, for example, in the Baltic, or you're flying it in the South China Sea, and the Russians or the Chinese... Um, uh, jam you, jam your radar, or use uh, some other kind of electronic warfare against you, against your aircraft, your platform, whether it's a ship or an aircraft, then that's considered hostile. So I really wanted to find out more about that as well. Um, and the very interesting answer that, you know, it, it, from Elizondo was that it might be not active jamming per se, but like a, a byproduct of, uh, of you know, the, 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 the warp field effectively around, around the craft, yeah, or around these craft. So that would indicate perhaps that it's not a hostile intent. Um, yes. Because you have to sort of you know, put that in the context of, well, you know, what's, what's the importance of that information? Um, but, uh, yeah, from a military perspective, that's very important because of the threat perspective. Um, although, you know, I, I say you can't rule it out in every single case. You'd have to think, well, uh, are they deliberately, when I say they, are the intelligences behind the UAP, are they, are they deliberately uh, trying to affect um, you know, like terrestrial platforms, or or is it every in every case a byproduct of their technology that causes that, and it's not a deliberate intent to jam per se? If you see what I'm saying? Yes, and that's interesting, and it brings up it. It does make you think. Well, maybe it's just it is part of what that technology does. It's not. It's not done on purpose. So we talked about jamming, 
And then, so also there's the technology that Sarfetto talks about with the T3 tech and white holes. Can you get a little bit into that? Yeah, I mean, this is um, Dr. Jack Sarfati's, uh, you know, theories, um, because he's, he's theorizing about the potential, uh, you know, weapons capabilities, yeah, that, that, that these craft would have. Um, and now it's theory, of course. Yes. But uh, what I find fascinating about it is the fact that if you're looking, for example, at a terrestrial platform, you know, whether it's uh, an older platform like an F-16, an F-15, whether it's an F F-22 or an F-35, um, it's one thing to have the platform that flies. And, but then, you, you know, what weapons do you actually put on it, right? So yes. what I always found interesting about Dr. Safati's work was he's actually thinking about, well, you know, what kind of weaponry would, would the UFOs have effectively? Um, and in my first paper... I touched on that as well. Um, Dr. Paul Hill, who was a, you know, a NASA aeronautical engineer in the late 1960s. Yeah. So he wrote his book and he was talking about, um, you know, old school. I had it in actually a section. I called it old school UFO uh, weapons theories. Um, so I wanted to put those to Elizondra as well, although he didn't seem to be um, uh, too receptive to that in terms of, of like his reply, he basically just said, you know, I can't really comment on uh, the validity of the physics model. Um, but then he comes back to you, says, I think there's a potential threat. <laughs> so, yes. so, you know, you kind of draw your own conclusions there. Um, and I think it's interesting. Uh, and he goes back to um, discussing and saying, well, yeah, if um, competitors, you know, like terrestrial competitors had that technology, um, then they would use those in a responsible way, which is quite interesting because he's basically assigning an intent now to like Russia or China and saying if they had the tech that they definitely use it. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. And I mean, as we're kind of talking about tech before we got started, we're talking a little bit about um, the tech that we have now. Um, and you were talking about you read um, uh, from the American uh, Enterprise Institute. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, too? Yeah, sure. I mean, that was quite interesting. Um, I came across this report. It just came into my came into my inbox. There was a, a report that's just been written, which is very interesting. It's by an expert, someone who actually worked at the DOD, and it's called the the 2020s Tri-Service Modernization Crunch. And in a nutshell, it's all about how all the bad decisions made over the kind of like the last two decades are really affecting uh, the DOD across the board um, in terms of they've got a lot of aging platforms, ships, uh, ground vehicles, aircraft, uh, all kit that was bought like um, uh, and paid for basically in from the Reagan era kind of onwards and how they're rapidly basically aging and it's becoming increasingly expensive year after year to keep them uh, in service. So um, the, the net result was saying that the report says and it draws on uh, other reports from other think tanks like the Heritage Foundation and the Center for New American Security, because this isn't like a report in isolation. I've been reading quite a lot of these different reports. So they're saying uh, they're warning that they said the era of U.S. military superiority has ended. Now the U.S. risks losing a war to China or Russia mm -hmm. or backing down in a crisis because it fears it would, which would have devastating in, uh, consequences for America's interests. Right. So it says the primary concern is not that the U.S. military is thoroughly obsolete, and then they put in brackets, yet, but yes. rather that its ability to credibly, to credibly deter Russia or China from, say, for example, you know, to deter China from uh, attacking Taiwan um, has eroded, right? So because once, once the war happens, then deterrence has failed. So, and they also give like quite an interesting chart, and... It says, yeah, see, this is just from the average age of U.S. aircraft, right? And this is drawn from the, the Heritage Foundation because they did a report on the U.S. military. So the average age of the bomber fleet, right? You're talking nearly 45 years old. Yeah. Um, some of the B-52s, right? They've been around since the Eisenhower administration. Uh, the, the fighter attack fleet, the average age is 25 years old. The tanker fleet, the average age is like over 50 years old. The military airlift fleet, the average age is 15. And then the average age of the entire fleet is 30 years old, right? So people are asking, okay, so why is that important? Well, it's like, well, I'm asking, well, where are all these super new platforms, um, you know, beyond next generation, you know, Tic Tac Tech, you know, UAP technology platforms that people talk about? Because if you've got like, a, as the report's saying, that you've got all these old aircraft that are rapidly becoming obsolete and that you won't be able to upgrade anymore and are reaching the end of their shelf life, then 
surely now, and you're worried about being able to deter Russia and China, surely now would be the time where you'd say, okay, well, instead of having like, you know, 800 obsolete aircraft, why don't I just invest in like, you know, a dozen Tic Tacs, right? And have those. And yeah. I, can, I can do the same job and I can, just, and I can deter the adversaries. So that was the premise of it. And uh, there's actually another interesting quote. It says 80% of the Air Force is roughly 2,050 fighters, all originally designed. So there's A-10s, F-15s, F-16s, all designed in the 1970s and purchased in the 90s, right? So they're all, they're all obsolete. They're all going to be, oh, become obsolete soon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. That is really old. Um... Because there's, there's only so much, you know, upgrading that you can, um, that you can do to these things. And there was another, it says, uh, there's another interesting quote. They're saying, even if the surface lives of aircraft, ships and vehicles can be extended, many platforms will be outdated before they retired. So then it's talking about uh, like the power that's needed for like new weapon systems, right? So it talks about the difference between the Gerald Ford and Nimitz class aircraft carriers. So it says the Ford class aircraft carriers powered by a nuclear reactor. They produce yes. more than three times the electrical power of the predecessor, the, the Nimitz class. So as a result, the Ford can support new weapons that need a lot more power, right? So you're talking like directed energy uh, weapons, rail guns, lasers. The Nimitz can't. So then there's concerns about its survivability in a future conflict, right? Yes. So what I'm asking again is then, so where are all these fantastic new beyond next generation platforms? Because all the reports that I'm reading is that the US military is having a problem with too many aging platforms and not enough money to spend on uh, you know, new stuff like the F-22 and the F-35, both of which have been dramatically cut in terms of the amount of platforms that they're buying. So we can't even keep up with the Tic Tac. <laughs> Everything we yeah, have is yeah, so outdated. But, yeah, so... Um, you know, there's only there's only so much upgrading you can do. But you know, the, the, the key question behind is I'm asking with, with 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 all these problems that the U.S. military have, I'm I'm just I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't some advanced platforms somewhere, but not the maybe the, the squadrons and uh, and the amount that, you know, deployable assets that could be used. People th seem to think exist, because if so, now would be a really good time to have them. Yes. Oh, no, that's an interesting point to bring up. It's the reality behind the situation and what's going on with what the army has and the, I mean, the military has and versus what they actually need. Oh, it's, oh, we, we are about four minutes to commercial here. Actually, we're just yeah. about to commercial. Shall we take okay. a commercial and then we'll come back and then yeah, let's we're do gonna, that. We're going to get into some more energy weapons. I got slide nine. We're going to talk about that when we return <laughs> with okay. Frank Milburn. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Here we go, guys. You're listening to KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Are you thinking about creating a podcast but don't know where to start? You really want to have to learn all this stuff? Individual track processing, enhance and improve sound quality, edit out those awkward pauses and slips, mix multiple clips and tracks, fix and balance noise levels and perfect volumes, deliver consistent sound, live podcast production, show notes and SEO optimization, episode upload to hosting, live call screening, balance levels and loudness measure broadcast standards, full branding packages, logo design, podcast site, website, show artwork, video and audio production, gotta do video because everybody's doing video, branded video graphics, or do you just want to get on the mic and get your ideas out there? The Fringe FM team is here to help with all of your podcasting, audio and video production needs. From simple podcast to audio enhancement, our professional production staff will make it easier than ever to create the podcast you desire. The biggest thing is time. A lot of people that podcast don't have time. Time is like a really valuable currency next to cost. It's even more important than money. Why waste your time doing all this stuff? This is what we can do for you. Think about like the hours and the money you're going to have to put into doing all this by yourself. doesn't make sense. It's going to take you months to launch. If we did it for you, we could do it tomorrow. Visit thefringe.fm, join our team, and get jump started on your podcast today. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. My name is Alex Exum, and you're listening to The Fringe FM. 
If you suffered in silence or experienced stress from a paranormal experience, even if it happened 20 years ago, when thinking or talking about it today still makes you feel sick to your stomach or makes your heart beat faster, or you suddenly can't breathe, maybe you even feel those old familiar signs of a panic attack trying to reach the surface. You could have unprocessed emotional responses. Those reactions of terror and trauma are no different than living through a horrible assault, childhood abuse, or a terrible car accident. It can be nearly impossible to find help. The very instance of seeing a ghost or encountering a cryptid could be clinically described as seeing or hearing things that aren't there. You could be considered psychotic, or at best, you're just not taken seriously. Out of a growing mountain of research, the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare showed that 8 out of 10 veterans who completed just 6 one-hour EFT sessions no longer tested positive for PTSD. If you've had paranormal trauma, you can contact Metaphorical Archaeology by calling 214-995-3754. Again, that's 214-995-3754 for a discreet consultation. Yo, hi there. It's Gigi from Shift Happens. Just stopping by to tell you to stop it. Stop that. Stop that thing that you're doing. And redirect all of your attention right directly back here to the Fringe FM. You're welcome. Hey, Fringe listeners, Dave Cruz here, reminding you that Beyond the Strange airs live Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Fringe FM. BTS is your one-stop shop for the paranormal, the bizarre, and most of all, the strange. Join me and co-host Black Sky Paranormals, Russ Bailey, as we discuss topics such as aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, and much more. Also, we talk with profound guests, authors, researchers from all over the world, and we take your calls live on the air. Go to beyondthestrange.com and learn more about the show, guests, times, free registration for our newsletter, merch, and much more. Again, that's Beyond the Strange, Monday evenings, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. And as always, stay strange. You are hearing the sound between that which is above and that which is below. It's KTLK Digital Broadcasting, The Fringe FM. Are you looking for real news? Are you tired of mainstream media telling you what to think? This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Instead of listening to mainstream media, check out the Rogie Report News here on the Fringe FM, KTLK Digital Broadcasting. News for the independent thinker. Welcome back. You're listening to the Rogie Report live on the Fringe FM and in syndication on KFSA. Joining me tonight is Frank Milburn, and we are talking about his new paper, U- American, Tech- American UAP Technology, uh, A Fait Accompli. <laughs> I hope you guys heard that. Oh, no. I was totally on mute for that whole thing. So welcome back, guys. You're listening to... The- Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought about space in my cramped apartment, but in this house, all I see is empty space. The sofa and ottoman look like tiny islands in a sea of hardwood floors. I could get two ottomans in the living room, but then I'd need another sofa. I could tell people I'm into minimalism. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. This week at Macy's, find your new favorite jeans with 40% off Levi's looks for him and her just in time for spring. 
or use your coupon or Macy's card and take an extra 15% off handbags and wallets, already 40 to 50% off. And take an extra 10% off great furniture and mattress deals too. Plus, Star Rewards members earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Rogie Report here on the Fringe FM and in syndication on KFSA. I'm Jess Rogie, and joining me again is Frank Milburn. Yay! Welcome back, Frank. (laughs) I just did that whole thing twice because I didn't unmute the button after the break. Ah. (laughs) So before the break, we were kind of talking a little bit about directed energy weapons, um... And uh, yeah. weapon technology on UAPs. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's interesting because I mean that's another area where uh, you know Jack Sofati, you know, he had some ideas about uh, you know pretty radical for you know UFO weapons, right? And also you know Paul Hill was talking about them in the '60s. But all the and I read a lot of um, sort of techie stuff on aerospace and and weapon systems and. You know, at the moment, it's all about, you know, putting lasers and directed energy weapons on on aircraft. You know, they're already on vessels for shooting down missiles or incapacitating uh, aircraft, uh, destroying small boats on the surface as well. If they're attacking a warship, that type of thing. But um, none, not 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 the sort of creating like white holes um, that Jack Sarfati is talking about, which should be like a whole uh, other ball game. But I mean, I could see a, a scenario where if they could actually build a platform with, you know, UAP technology, even if they didn't have the advanced weapon systems, they could still put like legacy weapon systems on them. Right. They could put like, uh, they could put missiles on them. They could, uh, put, uh, guided bombs on them. They could put uh, newer stuff, uh, directed energy weapons on them as well. So they wouldn't necessarily have to have like, uh, you know, the, the super advanced stuff that, that, uh, Sarfati talking about. I don't know. What do you think about that? I just it just blows my mind to try to think about like what kind of weapons technology we could put on them um what I mean just the whole thought that having a fleet of them even is insane to me. I I guess I can't even imagine. Really. Yeah, I mean cuz guaranteed, right? <laughs> if yeah. you've got something that flies and does that, then you're going to want to have something to um uh, to make other people's li- lives miserable, right? To put on it. <laughs> That's basically what exactly. people do with weapons, isn't it? So exactly. Oh, so in the um, so in the paper, and all, and this comes from the Project Unity interview where they bring up uh, Project Unity brings up um, slide nine, the infamous slide nine from Chris Mellon um, from the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Because we're talking about the weapons and stuff that they also were looking at in that um, in ATIP. Yeah. yeah, sure, Jess. I mean, that actually, that was one of those kind of like, you know, oh, my God, my jaw drops. Right. When he, when he, when he popped the question, he talked about it. Uh, right. Now, the background to the slide, um, as I understand it, um, from Jay uh, and from my own research. So that slide nine was originally, it was like a... It was a TTSA slide and that uh, Chris Mellon had had it on a website. Uh, and I think he didn't maybe mean to have it there because it was, it was pinged by somebody on Twitter. Right. And I actually posted them as a source there in the paper. So it's pinged by someone on Twitter and then it, it got taken down quickly off the website as I understand, and I understood it. But then, um, you know, when Jay asked, he goes, you know, now this slide, if I'm correct, is essentially saying, um, that the technology exists would allow for the complete and total manipulation of both cognitive and physical environments, including the manipulation of the very fabric of space-time itself. Is that correct? Someone <laughs> goes, "That's a pretty fair assessment." I mean, that sounds like something out of like um, Event Horizon, doesn't it? Like you know, right? the manipulation of the very fabric of space-time. <laughs> it just—it just sounds like it. Yeah, exactly. Just out of a movie. Just. I know. I know. Yeah. So that was one of those kind of like jaw drop, um, jaw drop moments uh, because you know, he'd been giving, just to put it in context, you know, Elizondo had been giving sort of fairly standard interviews, right? For, yes. um, for the last, uh, you know, sort of year, he got a bit funkier sort of towards the end of last year with um, some of the interviews that he was giving and which are well worth listening to, which were the, the um, 
uh, Military Matters podcast by Stars and Stripes um, when he was talking more about the threat. Those are very, those are really worth listening to. But um, this one, I mean, he really, he's really like put, putting it out there in terms of the questions. And then when it led on from the, um, from, from the slide nine, which is just a, 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 because people don't have it in front of them. So it's talking about psychometric weapons, cognitive human interface, penetration of solid surfaces, instantaneous sensor disassembly, alteration, manipulation of biological organisms, anomalies in the space-time construct, unique cognitive human interface experiences, right? So, and it says that the science exists for an enemy of the United States to manipulate both physical and cognitive environments in order to penetrate US facilities, influence decision makers and compromise national security. And then the bottom says, what was considered, what was, what, what was considered phenomena is now quantum physics, right? Yes. So, Yes, like, and that is like, once you read that slide and that box down at the bottom just gets you and, and you're like, oh. Yeah, but I think, I think that's also really good and something that the debunkers should read as well, because it's like, you know, what was considered phenomena is now quantum physics. It's like what was considered like witchcraft, the Middle Ages, right? You know, Galileo and you know, Copernicus and all those sort of dudes, right? People, people who, who got given a hard time by the kind of superstitious church yes. uh, and in some cases tortured because of their beliefs or told to shut up at the very least. Um, it's like, you know, uh, opinions change, right? As, as science change and, and understanding changes. So, you know, debunkers should certainly have a look at some of these things uh, and keep a bit of an open mind. Now, I'm not saying like go completely woo-woo and, and you know me and then sort of believe every crazy <laughs> conspiracy theory that's going right. just because it's been handed down for the last, you know, 20 or 30 years in, uh, in ufology law. You know, obviously keep an open mind, and, but, but follow the data as well, right? But uh, that, that slide, I just found it right, really, really, really out there. And then when um, and then when uh, Elizondo delves deeper about it and he's talking about um, being involved in experiments, he mentions Jacques Vallée and engaging yes. in, um, in, in, in warfare testing on U.S. soldiers and um, saying that uh, alleged sightings over nuclear facilities may have been conducted by the U.S. military as penetration tests. Right. So that gets in as well to the whole idea of. Um, uh, you know, like Nemesis and uh, basically, you know, spoofing radars, projecting, um, you know, imaginary fleets of aircraft, ships, submarines, maybe that aren't there, you know, projecting in imaginary contacts onto the sensors of uh, enemy of enemy surveillance platforms. Right. So and then he asks, um, are you aware of any extraterrestrial UAP related tests ever having been perpetrated against the United States military or the civilian population? And Elizondo goes by Americans, by the American government. And then he goes, Yes, or by another foreign adversary, human. And Elizondo goes, not by the American government. So, ooh, so that makes me think. So then, yes, human, just not the American government? Is that what he's not saying? Yeah, exactly. Saying, uh, yes, by another foreign adversary, human, not by the American government. So I'm thinking, uh, well, it'd be, you know, it'd be Russian or Chinese there, yeah? Right. Uh, the- I see them as being the, the most advanced based on China having the money, and uh, having very extensive espionage and the ability to steal American and Russian secrets oh, or Russian, sure. given that they had, you know, the thread three program that I talk about in the first paper, um, you know, the, 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 the Soviets and then the, and then the Russian Federation have been following and studying uh, UAP for quite some considerable time. Plus all their, uh, all their parapsychology experiments as well that the Russians did, which I touched on in, in the first paper, you know, like in the sixties and the seventies, you know, they were into remote viewing and telekinesis and all that stuff. Just but they were like actually, this. you know, like, how can you kill somebody like at a distance by using your mind, right? You know, <laughs> cause somebody to have a heart attack or whatever. Yes. No, I guess you never think. And I guess I always try to remind myself everything we worked on or here in the States that, you know, probably Russia and other countries were working on similar programs at the same time. Because we also yeah, studied well, parapsychology, too. That's true. But I think, um, as jo- um, John Alexander said in the, in the, the last podcast that I did with him, um, you know, because he's obviously like a leading proponent in the, in the remote viewing program. Yes. You know, he was up there, you know, w- w- with all the other kind of greats. Um, that basically it comes down to the, you know, like what they, what, what I, what I, t- what's been termed the Collins elite, the kind of like the ultra religious who say that it's, you know, that it's a demonology. It's the work of the devil to study UAP or, um, you know, phenomenology in general. Right. And I think the, the, that's a very good point because the Soviets, you know, they were um, obviously 
completely sort of anti anti religious, right? So they were they didn't have any problem with that because they didn't really allow religion to go on. Ah, so you know, the, the Russian Orthodox the Church was there in the background, but they didn't allow that to to influence people's uh, you know thinking, right? Yes. Uh, so they were kind of the, the, the Soviets, despite their their uh, their mental restrictions in other ways, in terms of you know what you could talk about and what you couldn't talk about and what you could openly discuss effectively. Uh, they didn't have any such problems when it was with uh, parapsychology and phenomenology because they didn't have that those religious limitations of saying, oh, it's the work of the devil or it's the demonology. We shouldn't talk about it or should, we shouldn't be studying it. So that's that was quite a good point. No, that, that is you brought a- up. That is a great point. No, and I, and it's interesting because they don't have that that what we what we have here in the states. Oh, let's see. Yeah, and I think that was a, I mean that was a point that that uh you know um, Colonel John Alexander he brought up again. It was the and which came out I think a lot in the first paper, which was this whole uh, you know like work of the devil and you know we shouldn't be looking at that and it's like this religious kind of stricture which causes a complete kind of cognitive dissonance. It kind of warps your whole worldview because it's like. Uh, you know, you're basically following the scripture and you can't you can't think in a certain way because, you know, you're not supposed to because God says it's bad or whatever. Not no offense to anybody, but yeah. <laughs> it kind of like limits your thinking, doesn't it? No, exactly. If you if you think of them because and I wonder and I think that held up a lot that might might have held up a lot of the research here in the United States because we're so kind of religious a lot of people are very religious too and they well, don't I think, want... yeah very much so and and i hope that's not going to be a problem with the i mean i know uh, from talking to colonel alexander that it seems to have been a problem with like remote viewing like why it wasn't you know more money wasn't spent on it oh. because because of that that whole paranormal aspect of it it didn't sit sit well with people with certain religious beliefs and um and i hope it's not going to be the same with the uaptf because um you know uh, I mean, some people say that a lot of the died in the war kind of really heavily religious people have kind of like have left the the intelligence community. But um, there are certain sections of American society which are still very kind of like heavily kind of skewed that way. So it'd be interesting to see how that affects um, UAP studies by the, the US government in the future and, and how open that they can be about it as well. Mm probably like there's gonna be people with pitchforks coming after me now having settled i know watch out you better be careful they're gonna have their pitchforks ah uaps are satanic or evil <laughs> yeah I, that's a, that's the problem though isn't it i mean um i mean going back to the middle ages you know people who you know if you were somebody and you could heal somebody's infection like using some herbs basically you were a witch weren't you right? so it's a very fine line between a healer and getting and getting a reward or or, or being a witch and getting the chop <laughs> a very fine line and it's so it's it's so funny too how you can kind of equate that belief of like witches and then now it's like ufos or uaps now it's just having these different beliefs because we don't understand them yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it comes out as well and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but also it comes out in people's perception of, you know, UAP and the intelligence behind them as well. Some people, if they have a very good experience, they might equate it with some kind of like a religious experience. Um, or alternatively, if they have a bad experience and they see it through the prism of religion, it would be something like satanic, right? So you can understand like where it comes from. Um, and you can understand how it kind of, uh, how religion, you know, shapes people's perceptions as well. Um, so, I mean, obviously if people have a good experience, then great. Then, and they see it in, in a religious way, then, then, then great. If it's, it's a, if it's a benefit to them. So in the chat from Russ Bailey, um, he asks about project Bluebeam. Do you have any thoughts on, on the possibility of project Bluebeam? In in terms of what uh, application to um, Where, like the they... limits or famous case? Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, there's um, there's an interesting there's an interesting discussion or argument, I should say, that's going on <laughs> at the moment. This guy, Mark Mike Turber, um, he's uh, basically debunking one of the, um, or he's debunked one of the videos uh, that one of the three videos that released. So he's done a debunk on that, oh. and. He's very much of the belief that, um, uh, if I understand correctly, that the Nimitz was some kind of um, uh, basically operation which was carried out on the U.S. Navy by another branch of the U.S. military or the U.S. government to test 
uh, advanced tech. So um, that would use, uh, you know, like projection of, as we were talking earlier, you know, technology yes. that projects, um, you know, images or uh, signals of uh, aircraft, submarines, surface, subsurface vessels onto the sensors of um, the receiving platforms, right? Intelligence and surveillance platforms. The only problem I have with that, or one of the yeah. only problems I have with that, is that it's very difficult to project that like so far out to sea, if that was the case. And also as well, then you've got all the human witnesses as well, because I've seen, and I won't mention names, but I've seen, um, because I haven't been given permission to, but I've seen people who are actually on uh, in that strike group, right? And who were, yeah. and people can work out who they were and who were actually operating the sensors have said, no, they were really sure that, you know, that, that it's not um, some kind of a, uh, of spoofing exercise. So I keep an open mind to that. I mean, it, look, if somebody can, if somebody debunks a video and it's debunked, and I'm not saying that it has been 100% debunked, but if someone does that and it turns out that it has been debunked, then great. Then they're giving us uh, kind of like more truth. Yes. Um, so as, as, you know, follow the data as always. But in terms of, um, you know, specific spoof, spoofing technologies, I'd say if it was applied to the Nimitz, look, I wasn't there. Yeah. I wasn't there, but I, I would go more with, the you've got the sensor tech you've got the sensor um technology right you've got the imagery and you've also got um you know highly expert witness testimony right so i'd I'd have to go defer to the witness testimony yes myself and i think because like if you're looking to get a new car you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with progressive sure you love your old car but you know it's not normal to give instructions on how to open the window it should be self-explanatory but it's not And notice how when you're in other people's cars, you can feel cushion in the seats? That's pretty nice, right? No, it's just normal. So bundle your renters and car insurance with Progressive and put the savings toward a new car. It's time. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. This week at Macy's, find your new favorite jeans with 40% off Levi's looks for him and her just in time for spring. Or use your coupon or Macy's card and take an extra 15% off handbags and wallets, already 40 to 50% off. And take an extra 10% off great furniture and mattress deals, too. Plus, Star Rewards members earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. I think, like, you know, multi-pronged, like, you know, the radio, radio-visual you know, the experience, uh, you know, uh, tying it all together makes it, you know, more compelling. What's interesting is I had a, I, I do have a friend of mine who was on the deck of the Nimitz who saw, who, who was, you know, wasn't a pilot or anything, but it was a few days before the incident and he saw, um, a, a, a light, you know, come out of the water and just shoot up straight into the air just a few days before, and uh, I believe it's uh, even in the deck log. So it's kind of interesting, too, that that incident occurred very near to those uh, the, to the Nimitz sightings. Yeah, yeah. I just think um, we need to be careful if we're talking about, uh, you know, so like whether it's holographic projections yes. or, um, or, you know, projection of, you know, false uh, information to sensors. Because yes. it's not just the sensors themselves. Because also, don't forget with the Nimitz as well. I mean, they actually shut off the the, the radars and they turned them back on specifically uh, to check that uh, that they were working properly. Um, and then you've got the the experts behind them, right? The expert testimony of, of the people who were operating those sensors. Yes. Yeah. In that battle group, and then on top of that, you've got like the pilots, and you've got the uh, and then you've got all the all the sensor and, and the imagery. So the sensor data and the imagery. So that's pretty compelling. And I just think, I mean, how would you manage to project if if, if you're talking like holographic technology, like yes. Bluebeam, right? How would you project those holog that that holographic technology so far out at sea? That's that's the question that I ask. I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm not a scientist. I'm not saying it's, it's impossible, but yeah. it would be pretty difficult to do that. I mean, you'd have to have something that can something that's flying or on the surface that's not visible to anybody else and that can project like um, a hell of a lot of uh, a hell of a lot of power to create these holograms, and that these holograms can then also interact with with uh, pilots and moving aircraft and, and vessels. That's true. That's true. And this is even. I mean, this is what ah, this is two thousand. God, now how many years ago was the actual footage? So. Thinking back then, I mean, maybe we did have that technology, but still it's hard to imagine where where would it be coming from then if it wasn't a tangible object. 
Yeah, that's it. I mean, they, they talked about like nemes you know, nemesis technology as well, which was sort of uh, which which sort of derived from the nineteen fifties. Um, but I think you know, there's a there's also the issue of my other problem with it is it's very dangerous if you're going to start doing that around like a carrier battle group, because right? <laughs> you've got a lot of air, you've you've got a lot of different moving parts and. If something is considered hostile, it's a very, very, you know, you're putting potentially a lot of people and uh, equipment, you know, at risk if something goes wrong. Yeah, potentially. Yes, no, that's um, true. And you, if you wanted to carry out those kind of tests, I mean, you could and and and, and do it on people unassumingly. I mean, you could set set that kind of test up in somewhere, you know, out of the public eye, you know, like Area 51, one of the ranges, one of the huge ranges, you could set up like all the radars and all the sensors and you could do all that, like, you know, just completely out of the way and you wouldn't have to do it on like a an active battle group that's actually strike group that is uh, basically doing a beat up for, de- for, for, for military deployment, right? So um, that would be my other problem with it. So, I mean, does that make you wonder, like, if it is just possibly maybe Russian or Chinese technology and maybe not extraterrestrial or? In terms of what, of the spoofing of the systems? Yes. Like, could it be, could it be China or Russia? Possibly? Well, I mean, if it, was spoof, if it was spoofing of the systems, you still got the problem of you'd have to have, you know, platforms capable of generating that amount of power. I mean, are you talking about like, you know, beaming down? holograms from space or something like that you know what i mean yeah that, I, mean, I know how, that, how that, would, that would, that's where how'd you actually where go I about went. it right otherwise like, you'd have to have a platform that's somewhere near the battle group but then somehow stays invisible and, and doesn't get seen so i just don't see how that would work personally it's true um, it's like hmm, either yeah. satellite I mean, I, or submarine projecting <laughs> yeah and i mean if you've got guys you know if you've got like you know guys like Fraser, Fravor, and you've got, you know, the, the, the really, really uh, experienced, you know, um, sensor and radar techs, and they're saying what they're seeing is real. And then you've got people actually seeing it with their own eyes, right? So that it's, it's probably harder to fool as well. Um, so I would have to go with the witness, with the witnesses who are actually there. Yes. So I wanted to talk a little bit about here too, um, with the... Um... The Elizondo interview, um, there's there, there's a section where he starts to talk about the three-dimensional world, and then he goes into talking about the fourth-dimensional world. Can we talk a little bit about that? Like, what is, do you know what that is? What is this fourth-dimensional world he's speaking about? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, uh, he's, he's talking about a, uh, a basic, a, a sort of different, a different uh, existence that we can't see um and that his theory because i mean it is theory unless he says that it's like uh you know 100 percent like gospel uh his theory that uh that there is basically a dimension that we're not able to interact with maybe and that's why we see these things like phasing in and out because um these intelligences behind these platforms um are able basically to manipulate this different reality that we don't have access to or that we have access to maybe, but we don't perceive is how I understood it. Yes. Yes. Cause he, he explains like, it's like, we know X, Y, Z, but this is a third one or a fourth one, which is kind of, kind of interesting. And, um, we talk about the Doppler there. We talked about the reverse Doppler in the last episode. So I don't want to talk about that again. Yeah. So, yeah, we simply don't say yes. So he says there may be realities all around us that we simply don't perceive. We're a very limited species. We live in a three-dimensional space, um, which is a function, I guess, the fourth dimension. But that's not to say there are not other things all around us. We sense the universe through the five primary senses. We look at the world through a very narrow band of the electromagnetic and of the electro-optical spectrum. So. Um, I mean, that would help explain why these things can be invisible when they want to. Yes, and it makes a lot of sense. Maybe there's just there's just this thing that 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 they're going into this different dimension, or just even a different like frequency that we're not able to see or hear with like our technology right now. Or maybe we can. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I think it was very interesting. His um, 
yeah, and his comments about uh, you know how they maybe have a, a, a different way of 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 sensing time, experiencing time, manipulating time, so they could be out of phase with us in a in a temporal sense as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it just gets it once you get there, then it starts to say, "Wow!" So it's very interesting that they know at least that much about what about part of the UAP phenomenon. It's totally mind blowing, Jess. It is it's totally it mind blowing. And that's what I was saying, why I had to get this into a paper because he did these two interviews. I'm like, what? Nobody's talking about it. I was like, this is absolutely mind blowing. No, and I'm so glad that you've put focus on it too because it's like, the thing is, you know, I put my, I get my blinders because I'm very much in the UFO, UAP community and I forget that there is like the scientific community, there's regular people, there's, you know, academics, there's, everybody you know military people don't actually like these are things they don't actually know and haven't actually been put out there that's why i'm so glad you're putting a a spotlight on it for people to look at in a serious way and look at the data and look at what is being said well i i, I appreciate that um but i think it's i mean this is a very you know it's very very advanced stuff i mean i'm not a scientist it's hard for me to get my head around but okay. if you look at like a, a a similar example would be like um for example, in the nine, in the sort of First World War, you had like the first aircraft carriers started to appear, and then the 1920s. But like the British were still thinking of like, okay, you have an aircraft carrier, it can launch aircraft, but it's really so that you can project aircraft, and they do reconnaissance for the main fleet, for the battleships and for the cruisers to identify where the enemy is, and then you can go and blow them up, right? But the um, and attack them. But there's the Japanese and the Americans who who thought a little bit further ahead, and they said, well, actually, now you've got the, the, the whole balance of technology has shifted because now you've got um, these ships that can carry aircraft. They in themselves become the principal weapon, not the battleship, because they can range far further. They can strike faster. Uh, you know, got much greater range um, and, uh, you know, detection capability. So, you know, the, the, they utilize the true, they realize the true value of the, of the aircraft carrier, which carried on into the 1930s and, and into the Second World War. And then the Brits... Obviously, they, they, they latched onto that idea as well. And then you had like, you know, the carrier groups of, of World War II, where, you know, the battleships weren't the most important vessel anymore. It was the aircraft carrier the, and the aircraft that it carried that was the most important asset. And I think that we're seeing that now. Um, it's just a lot of military people, scientific people and people generally haven't made that jump yet. And I think uh, we're seeing that jump now with uh, everything that's been coming out and that, and that I put down in the paper. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I think we're moving towards, I don't want to, I don't like the word disclosure. I think I would call it more of a wider acceptance, maybe perhaps of the phenomenon overall. Yeah. Um, I don't think though that that is really, you know, for all the Elizondo and, um, and Chris Mellon talk about like, you know, disclosure and stuff. You notice that in, in the fine print, right, when they're talking, they want to talk, they want the government uh, to be more aware of it. The U.S. government, the senators, you know, they, they, they've been pushing that. They want it to be taken seriously. Uh, but as soon as it's, as soon as there's, there's going to be no talk about, you know, platforms, sources, methods. Um, yeah. So that's why um, that you're going to have the classified annex because you can't, discuss the sources and the methods right and and, and the sensor technologies right behind it so they want disclosure as far as that goes right but not if it's going to compromise you know sources and methods which may be where all the really really interesting stuff is okay there'll be interesting stuff that isn't classified but uh you know to get to the real nitty-gritty right yeah, they're not the saying like you know they're not saying like open the hangar doors of uh, uh, area 51 and, and and show your dirty knickers right they're not saying right. that no um, and, I think... and I think, and, and sorry, the other interesting thing I was going to say, the very fact that Elizondo was, you know, I, uh, that, that we asked him effectively about, you know, well, you know, having a Manhattan style project, you can see they want to build these things, right? So they want to have the money to build these things. They want to have a big project and build these UAP. So that was the thing that was interesting about it. And I, the other, obviously, the corollary of that is that they believe that there aren't already, um, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, squadrons of, of of these platforms that we talked about previously at the start of the show i don't want to get i feel like if i feel like there's a great line at the end of this frank but then i feel like if we say it it's like a spoiler 
You you say it. <laughs> Should I say it? Then is it a spoiler? Well, it's your like show. the last end. It's the end of your paper. We want people if you guys read it. But I love that last line here. Um who says it? Does, oh, John, Alexander, John Alexander. John Alexander says even even if they understood Tic Tac, Tic Tac would only be a variant of thousands of UAP. Yeah, that that was a thousand. Yeah, that that's um that's mind blowing as well. And um, yeah, uh, Joe Murchie actually said that as well. But he liked that bit at the end it's... of uh, of the paper. And it's true. I mean, it is very it is it is mind blowing. But I mean, it goes back to if you look at uh, I did I put that in the first paper? I think I did. That there's so many different. No, I, I was talking about it in a podcast. But there's so many different. Uh, types of craft reported yes yeah? so many different types of craft and then so many different types of occupant as well so many different variations in reported occupant now are we assuming are they i mean that's obviously assuming are they real like physical beings or is it like some kind of like projection into your brain so that you're seeing something that isn't there you know being spoofed effectively but um you know it opens the possibility that yeah i mean there could be uh you know uh, these craft, do they all have the same technology? That's interesting. Does a triangle have the same technology as a cigar, even yes. if they have like similar characteristics uh, or is it a variant on a, on a theme? Yeah. I have... Ah, Frank, just as we get into this, I'm like, I want to talk about the different kinds of craft. I want to <laughs> talk about these things, but we are rolling up at the end of the hour. Ah, but this was so fun, and it always starts flying, and we just start getting real into it towards the end. So, Frank, where can people find this paper? I mean, I'm going to put the link down there, but this is your second paper. But where can they find the link, and where can they find you if they want to contact you? Or yeah, maybe sure. you don't um, want them to contact you. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and no, I'm, um, I'm on Twitter, at Frank Milburn, Frank with a C. Um, I'm on Twitter, and... Uh, the paper, yeah, you can find it at the um, the uh, Begin Sadat Center for Strategic Studies. Um, just do a search and put in UAP there, and it will come up. And there's the two papers, actually, that I've done will be there. Awesome. So. I've also put the links to his papers in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. And I want to thank you, everybody, for listening. And I want to thank you again, Frank, for coming on. And we'll have you back again because... There's just so much to talk about with UAPs and ah, we're just getting into crafts. F fantastic. And then I'll have to write another paper. By then. <laughs> you have to write another paper. So you have a little time. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you so much. And let me play my little outro music here. Thank you everybody for listening and we'll catch you next week. Mm -hmm.